You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good evening, everybody. Greetings to all. Good to see you all in my mind and good to be seen and good to be together. Uh, just want to say how much I love this region, how much uh, it's so special to be here. I was just thinking this morning, thank God for Zoom. Otherwise, we wouldn't be seeing each other at all. I, I had such a blast last night being in in uh, Casey Esmond's birthday party and just seeing everybody's faces was so good and hearing from them. And, and thank God for the technology he's given us. Imagine how challenging this pandemic would be without Zoom. We'd never see each other. And best would be phone calls. And and we've been able to connect. And, and I love about our region is that we just find ways to connect uh, through Part, through Zoom parties and birthday parades and whatever we got to do. And, and I'm so encouraged by that. So anyways, we're, we're jumping into class four. I mean, this turned into a full-on series um, of, uh, of restoring roles, basically. And that's what the session is called. I'm just kind of putting everything under the umbrella title of, of restoration of roles in the church. And, um, of course, we're dealing with some really challenging ones, and especially today. But before I jump into that, I do want to announce um, that we're going to do a March sermon series for friends and family. It's going to be totally geared towards friends and family. You ever have, uh, uh, you ever see a message and you think, oh, man, I wish my aunt would have seen this, or I wish my dad would have seen this, or I wish my brother my or, or my, my cousin would see this one. So we're trying to do, I want to do a series that's for them, basically. Or I wish my coworker, I wish my neighbor would watch this, you know. And so um, we're going to do a series on things you want to find, things you want to have in life, right? Um, finding spirituality, finding God in a pandemic, finding peace in a chaotic time, finding a no-fear life. And I'll tell you, if you have any ideas, please feel free to email me of things that need to be said or taught, or you got a friend that... That you're reaching out to, you say, man, I wish Robert would preach on this or Reese would preach on that so that I'm, I'm sure my friend would come to that, you know. Let us know because uh, we definitely want to use this uh, as as an evangelistic outreach and a tool to reach new people. And 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 sometimes those new people are oldest people that we ha- we know, you know. It could be our parents. They could be the people who've known us since we were babies, you know, people who changed our diapers. But people that we know and love that we just wish there was a way to get them connected. It is an incredible opportunity right now to to connect people to the church because it's a, it's such a non-threatening way to go to church, right? You're sitting in your living room and you turn on YouTube. I mean, if they don't like it, they can turn it off or they can change the channel or mute me or something, you know. And 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 so it's it's just a great way to introduce people uh, to the gospel, to the Bible, to church. And the music's awesome. Our worship team does such a great job, and and everybody just always does such a great job with with the the glory stories, the the communion, the contribution message, everything. All so it's just a great way to reach out to people. So this is going to be our series again. If you have any ideas, send them to me. I'm excited about it, and, and this is going to be really geared to to reaching out to all our friends and family. We'll get some invitations put together so you can email everybody and say, watch this one. It's going to be on spirituality. Spirituality is something that a lot of people are thinking about in in, in a lot of ways because nobody's going to church, you know, so they're thinking about their spirituality. But even in the trend over the last 20 years is people not going to church. and But that people recognize they have a spiritual hunger. 
and they don't know what to do with that. And so this will be a non-threatening way to find out about spirituality or to ask questions about God. We're so comfortable talking about God. We talk about God all the time, but the world does not. And, And most people, as you know, friends, family, worker, co-workers, they get real uncomfortable when you start talking about God. Here's a non-threatening way to talk about God. Or finding peace. I mean, that's such a hunger right now. There's, this has been an incredibly stressful time uh, this over this last year. And it's challenged us all in many, many ways. Wow, peace is worth so much right now in this life. And just dealing with fear. You know, the, the, the video that, the sermon, the lesson that got the, the most amount of hits on our channel was the No Fear Sermon. That was almost a year ago now. Um, and, and yet, I think it was in March of last year. And that one's gotten the most hits. And I think because a lot of us are struggling with fear. And if not all of us, really, probably all of us. But um, be a great way to invite somebody to deal with the fears that they have. So... Please uh, keep that in mind, and let's 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 have a great month in March, inviting friends and family. So, rest. So we're back to restoration of the church, restoration of church roles. Uh, we're talking about our lives, our spirituality, and we're talking about the church, the role of deacons, ministers, and women's leadership, and how all that works together to build up the church and help the church be its very best. We are tackling the toughest one first. This is the most controversial one. This is the toughest one. Controversial because it challenges us. For some of us who are more traditional and and church going and traditionally minded, it's scary. Oh, women are doing things that violate the scriptures, and that's not how we did it back in the day. And and you know that sister sounds too much like she's preaching. And and we have that fear. We have that concern that the church is just becoming like the world. And and as things have changed in the role of women in the world, the church is following it instead of leading the world. And, and that's a very real fear for some. And it's not because necessarily they're anti-women as much as they're just afraid of violating Scripture. They're afraid of doing something wrong before the Lord. And that's a healthy fear to have, uh, just as long as it doesn't lead us to overreaction and doing things that aren't necessary to do. And that's where a lot of traditions in the church that kept women out of leadership came from that fear. And we're trying to dismantle those unhealthy traditions and make sure we have the right traditions from God. Where, uh, and putting all the scriptures into practice that concern. And then the other side is the other side, the opposite of the polar opposite of the conservative, uh, the fearful conservative is the uh, critical liberal. You know, the person who's just like you know, critical progressive. It's like, why can't we just do that? You know, I mean, the world does it. We should be able to do it. And does not take the thought or care about um, what the scriptures say. And they're more worried about what people will think than they are what God will think. We don't want to be in any of those extremes. We want to be respectful and obedient to God and all his word. And we also want to shed off any unnecessary traditions that hold us back and and hurt us. And And especially as the world changes... You know, the, the key to success always for any organization, but especially a church, is to hold on to our core doctrines and not let that go, but always be willing and able to change, to remain like young wineskins and not old wineskins, to not get old and crusty and unchangeable, but to stay fresh and vibrant and new and growing while retaining our core convictions and what being faithful to the scripture. So we're going to 
uh, quick re- quick review. We talked about Genesis one through three, and we looked at how uh, humankind is made in the image of God, or what is called the Imago Dei, and how incredibly important that is. What that says about people, and how valuable every person is, and particularly in the context of this study, men and women. That there's both are made in God's image. Both have the icon of God, the image of God, the likeness of God. There is not one over the other in terms of value, in terms of importance, or in terms of likeness of God. There may be roles, and there are roles, where one will be put over another in different situations and in different ways, but that does not in any way have anything to do with value. We learned that in Genesis chapter 1. Um, and we learned uh, in Genesis, well, the, in Genesis chapter 2, is how she was created out of the side of man as a counterpart to man. And a helper does not mean anything weak, does not mean anything subservient in itself. God called, David called God his helper. And the word is used in many ways of any strength that comes to a person's life, right? And then in Genesis chapter 3, we saw, we saw the consequences of sin. We saw how, how uh, Eve's action of, of taking the fruit, Adam's action of allowing himself to be led into something wrong, disobeying God, brought down punishment on them all. And all three were punished, the snake, the woman, and the man. They all got in trouble. But the consequences of that is that there's a tension and a conflict that will remain until Jesus comes back, and the, you know the curse of the world entered the world, and and you know bottom line we're still living out that curse. We're still surviving through the curse that was brought in. We're in a fallen world, and we know that every time we turn the news on, we see we live in a fallen world. The kingdom of God is supposed to be where God's will is done, and shows the world how much better God's way is. What it would be like if it were not fallen, if we could live up to God's idea of how things were supposed to be. So today we're tackling two main scriptures, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16, and 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 40. These have some of the most controversial scriptures uh, that we're going to look at. I mean, this is, we're getting, as Nacho Libre said, to the nitty gritty. We're getting down to it here, where the rubber meets the road. And, and some of the tougher scriptures, for some of us, uh, this will help alleviate us that, no, we're not just swinging off in reaction, following the world. For others of us, it might challenge us that uh, uh, that's not what I thought, you know. And and, and for that reason, you know, we, we've got to have a fair level of humility. I'll talk about that later. But um, So in these scriptures, you're going to see some key themes. And you can watch out for as we read through the scriptures. Um, of course, unity is a key theme. Much of Paul's letters, these are... These are these are both uh, taken from letters from Paul to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth was having serious unity problems, which is very typical of churches and oftentimes happens in churches. Uh, they weren't getting along. They were they 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 were fighting. They were they were uh, dividing up. They were uh, you know this is the whole thing. Some say I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. I follow you know, different Apollos, they were following different leaders, which unfortunately happens. People get too enamored into to a leader and, and, and forget that their leader is Jesus. Every disciple, our leader is Jesus, and Jesus unifies us. Jesus brings us all together. So unity 
uh, working together, even practical things like, you know, the church in Corinth had a lot of the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, um, you know, them, not everybody prophesying at, at the same time. And if you and if you don't have interpretation of tongues, then don't do it. Don't use it. Keep quiet. You know, keep silent. And and all even, you know, how that all should, we should all work together, basically. And of course, that's the, it's it's in the Corinthian letters. We see chapter 12, the discussion about the body being many parts, but they're all one. Um, unity is a big issue. And unity between men and women is a big issue as well. Um, and that's why he addresses that. In order is another big theme in the in the Corinthian church is that things were out of order people were interrupting each other people were talking people were were it, the, the service was just a hodgepodge we tend to think to have you know we we tend to have this fantasical view sometimes of why can't we all just get together and have church and whoever wants to speak speak and whoever wants to sing sings and and god is not a god basically paul makes the argument god is not a god of chaos god is a god of order I mean, God ordered things. I mean, there are many things that are ordered. The word, the word cosmos that we use for the universe is an order. It's, it's how things are ordered, how things are set up so that everything functions well. Chaos is the opposite of, of order. And chaos is really from Satan where everything just goes whatever it goes. There are people gifted for certain things. There are people not gifted for certain things. Those who have these gifts should use their gifts, and those that don't have it, let somebody who does have it use it, you know, and do it. So, you know, the, their, their services were getting out of control. I mean, sometimes we think we have problems. I read Corinthians, and, you know, he said there were people getting drunk at communion. It's like, come on, really? Really? At communion, getting drunk? I thought we had problems, you know? So it's actually... Um, uh, relieving, especially for me, that that we're not the only ones that have problems, even in the Bible. I was in a meeting one time where a group of us who were on the teachers committee were talking about writing up something that described a healthy church. And of course, we always want to go back, restorations go back to the first century church. But at the end of the day, we laughed because we said, well, if we write up exactly what a healthy church is, there's not one single example, even in the Bible. Why do we have all the Paul's letters? Because he was dealing with problems. And things, and so it's problem. It's just by nature a church is going to have problems. By nature a, per, a church is going to have challenges. And every time we baptize somebody, we celebrate, but they also bring in a boatload of problems and add to the problems we already have. As, as, as somebody once said, you know, if you want to make the per church perfect, then you need to leave. You know, because everybody needs to leave because we all got problems. Um, and, uh, and and lastly, propriety is a major subject, and particularly when he's discussing issues with women, because a lot of this goes back to propriety. There's an overarching theme that I've that I've seen in, in studies of Paul's letters, and that theme being do whatever is best for the gospel, do whatever is best for the church to shine, for the kingdom to be advanced, and and people to be able to see the kingdom of God in our lives. Um, I mean, that is what the church is here for so that people can see the kingdom of God and see the kingdom of God in our lives. But the, that means we have to act a certain way. And it's not, it, it should not be out of pressure to, for social pressure. It should be out of love because we want to do whatever we need to do to win over our families, our friends, our coworkers, our co-students, our, our neighbors. That So, so propriety is sometimes born out of that. Our challenge 
that we have anytime we approach the scriptures, of course, is to distinguish whether this is a contextual and historical correction or timeless principles. There are some things in the Bible that are a teaching for that group at that time. They're not a universal teaching. And then there are other things that are a universal teaching. And it takes great wisdom, insight. I would even add training to know the difference. You know, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. This, this is, once again, this is the nitty-gritty, is how we handle the scriptures, how we approach how the hermeneutics, the exegesis, the eisegesis, making sure that we handle the scriptures properly. And most of the time, it's pretty clear. You read it, yeah, that's what it says. And the more you know of the Bible, the, the more clearer it becomes and the more scriptures that become clear. But there are some tough ones that it takes a trained person who understands Greek or Hebrew, who understands hermeneutics, who understands exegesis, who understands the the rules of understanding scripture. There are rules. And there are ways to do it and there are ways not to do it. And it's very easy to make mistakes. It's a large part of the reason why we have so many denominations. You know, there are denominations that believe things. They're founded on a certain belief that is wrong. And, you know, and, and obviously if it was easy to show it was wrong, it would have never happened. But the fact that it's complicated and there are multiple or different ways to understand something is why these churches get started, movements begin, all based on misunderstanding of a scripture or something the Bible says. So it's a very important, uh, it's very important how we approach and how we study things. And some of these scriptures are tough to understand. And the, and the truth is some of them we'll, we just may never understand. And that's okay because one thing I figured out about God is he keeps me on a need to know basis. If I need to know, he shows me. If I don't need to know, he doesn't. And sometimes my curiosity is bigger than that. And I want to know stuff that there's not, it's just not going to be known. And I mean, I got a list of questions I want to ask God when I get to heaven. Why this? Why that? And I don't understand why he did this. It's okay, though, because I have faith. I trust God. And so for what's necessary for understanding? Well, number one is spiritual maturity. Is is there are things that that we understand because the Spirit helps us understand. And that requires a level of spirituality. The Bible says that we grow by practicing scriptures. It always amazes me when somebody claims to be a Christian or claims to know the Bible, but their life is a mess. They fight with their wife or or their husband. They fight with their kids. They don't get along with people. They walk around being judgmental. And they are by no means an example of love and grace and mercy and kindness. The most important things to God. They don't practice justice. They are leery of justice. They, they're offended by justice, and, and yet they claim to be God's people. No, no, no. When we obey the scriptures and when we follow scripture, we are filled with the Spirit. The Spirit guides us along. It's like feeding the Holy Spirit in you. It just grows and becomes the predominant force in your heart and your mind. There was a, there's an old story of a, uh, of a ship's captain and they're sailing across the North Sea. And uh, one of the passengers asks him, he says, 
I noticed that all the icebergs are floating south, but there's one that's moving north. How does that happen? And he tells him, he says, because the regular icebergs are blown by the wind, and the wind is blowing from north to south. But the big icebergs, the icebergs that run really deep, those are moved by the ocean currents. And the ocean current moves south to north. And that's a spiritual person, a spiritual woman, a spiritual man. They're moved by the Spirit. They're moved by Scripture, by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, founded in the Word of God, not by every wind of teaching, not by all the different ideas out there. So to understand these things, it, it takes a certain level of spirituality. Uh, it takes a level of humility of just, look, you know, I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know. And my limit, and my 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 uh, knowledge and understanding is limited. I mean, I've blown, I've been blown away by by what I see, what I learned at, at Pepperdine when I was doing my MDiv. That there were there are people who their entire education is just studying I, the the second half of the book of Isaiah. That's it. He's a Bible scholar, but what does he know? He knows the second half of the book of Isaiah. There's that much to learn, that much to know. You could spend. You could spend years studying just the Corinthian letters. You could spend years studying just Paul's letters. You could spend years studying any certain topic in the Bible. There's so much to know. So we have to always have the humility of that. I know some things and there's things I don't know. You know, there's it's a little scary sometimes. We get prideful, you know, somebody a brother goes out and buys a book, a dictionary on Greek and and suddenly he's challenging the church doctrine and he's become this you know, theological genius, and he, he wants to challenge everything. That's not good. That's not healthy. We got to have the humility to know that none of us know everything. And and those of us who spent years studying and training uh, as disciples, we're going to know a whole lot more than most of the people in this world. But we're still not going to know everything. And we have to have that humility that I and to be able to say, I think this or this appears this way, but I'm not sure. And that's where advanced study, biblical study, textual study comes in and helps us to be better at understanding and defining these things. It still doesn't make any of us necessarily a know-it-all. We know more about some things than others, but that's it. And we have to have the humility and sometimes just stop and ask God, please help me to understand this. And especially the humility to listen to others and to test what is being said by Scripture to 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 look at it, to meditate on it, so that all that requires humility. And then, lastly, faith. Faith is trusting God. Faith is trusting Jesus. There are some scriptures I just frankly don't know why. I I don't know why. I'd love to have a great answer for it. I don't know why. But I what I do know is that God is good. God is just, and God is always right. So sometimes when I hit a scripture that, man, I'm like, I don't know about this. I default to that because it's true, because it's good, and it keeps me safe. You know, I just trust God. I trust him. So a lot of of setup here, but I I think this is really important because we'll get challenged. And and both extremes get, get challenged in these kind of settings. So we jump right on in. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16. Um, I'm going to read the first half. Follow my examples. I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the traditions 
just as I passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head covered, uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if, if, but if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Okay, so this is one of those classic scriptures that people go, what? You know, what does he mean by that? And why, why this? So I'll take it piece by piece here. Follow my example. He starts out saying, as I follow the example of Christ, I praise you to, for remembering me and everything and for holding uh, to the tradition, just as I pass them to the traditions, just as I pass them to you. Okay, so so you know he he starts out with the, with the very simple idea, which is a radical and revolutionary idea. Follow my examples; I follow the example of Christ. This is what we understand as practical discipleship, right? Where we follow each other's example. But Paul set an example. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul knew all the law, and yet he changed. Paul uh, was a champion for the Gentiles, even though he was a Pharisee. Paul was was uh, an example in humility. I mean, he and 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 sometimes Paul did certain things that would throw people off, like being a champion for Gentiles, saying they don't have to become Jews, and yet he has Timothy circumcised. What? Wait, wait! Didn't he just argue that they don't Gentiles don't have to be circumcised? Yeah, but. But there was he saw a need for that. And that's the kind of thing that Paul would do. He was humble enough to be led by the Spirit. He was humble enough to see the overarching principles of God, like what is best for the gospel, what is best for advancing the kingdom of God. And if that's what you got to do, then do that. Even if you don't have to do it, but do it for the good of others. Do it for the good of God's kingdom. So I'm sure that was a tough talk when he sat there and talked to Timothy and told him, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to circumcise you. And, you know, Timothy probably was like, wait a second. I just, I've heard you preach 20 sermons on why Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. And you're telling me I got to do this. Paul shaved his head when he went to the, to, to Jerusalem, which is a Jewish custom that he's not bound to, but he did it anyways to set an example. So that example of humility is great for all of us. And um, and then he says, "Praise you for remembering me and everything holding traditions, just as I passed them on to you." It you know uh, this is a newer translation of the NIV, and they have the word traditions. We never had that. Most of us growing up, you know, we traditions were an evil thing, and we were out breaking all the traditions. But the fact is, it actually has been in the in the um, in the in the Bible forever. I think the NIV used to translate it as as um, my teachings, but it's not traditions. It's the word traditions, and and that we have good traditions and we have bad traditions, you know, and that's, we have to be able to sift them out, sort them out and make sure we do what is good, but not what is bad. He said, but I want you to realize, okay, now I'm going to read the next part. This is where the nitty gritty comes in. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. When I talked about order earlier, there are orders to things. There's a team captain. It doesn't mean the team captain is any better or more valuable than the rest of the team. The team captain has the role of team captain. He orders things. There's God and Jesus. 
there's man and woman. The order does not imply value, does not imply intelligence. This is where we get really caught, we get really stuck. Because in our in the world, order does imply value. You know, the the king is more valuable than the than the janitor. Not before God. Not before God. There's an old preacher story of the guy dies and goes to heaven, and he comes in. And he sees all these beings of light, and they're beautiful. and And then he sees this one really bright one that's just shining so much brighter than all the other beings. And he asks his guide. He asks Peter, he says, who is that? Is that, is that one of the apostles? Is, is that a, a, the Pope? Or is that, you know, he's, he's like, who is that person that shines so much? And he says, oh, that was the janitor at the church building. That's the church building janitor. You know, and he's shocked by it. Why? Because we think like the world. That is not how God thinks. And so we have to divest ourselves of that and understand that order is order. Order is for practical function. It's it's not a thing of value. It's not a thing of respect or worth or any of those things. So, But he clearly sets it up, says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of, every, of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So he gives us that analogy. I think he gave that analogy purposely. So we don't think that we don't think of Jesus as inferior, you know, and and unfortunately the scriptures like this were used by centuries of religious men saying, you need to just shut up and do what I say because you're inferior, I'm superior. Having that kind of an attitude. And that attitude is what I was talking about last time, still permeates our society today. And it's wrong and it is sinful. Order is not wrong and sinful. But looking at people and showing disrespect or not valuing people because of the order is absolutely wrong. And that's, that's a hard thing to separate because they're so intertwined in our minds, not in the scriptures, not to God. And he, and he says, well, the, the issue here, um, the, the key word here to know is, is, is kephale, which is, it's, it's, um, the head, it's the top part, the, the, the head. Um, and, and, and it fits in with the, the whole hierarchy of creation, you know, how God made things. Um, how the heavenly realms are with God, with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, um, with with male and female. First, he, he made humankind, he split them. And how did he do that? Well, he took the side or the, the counterpart of Adam, and Adam was male and Eve was female. And that doesn't mean that one is more valuable than the other. I, I keep saying that a lot because it's so much at the root of how we think. Uh, with value. Um, the issues hinges on the definition of kefali, which is head defining a hierarchy with authority, and the subordination of the definition of the word uh, kefale, and which means topmost or head. Now there is a there is an alternate uh, translation for this, which is source. And source, um, it's possible, but it doesn't fit all the criteria, and it's not what most people would think. Some people argue that. So if you were to read it again, I would say, I want you to realize that the source of every man is Christ, and the source of the woman is man, and the source of Christ is God. It's an interesting interpretation, but it does not fit with all the other examples. There's several examples of the head, and, and, and it's, there's a number of examples, I should say, 
that doesn't necessarily the best interpretation there. So we keep going. And he goes on, he says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head covered, uncovered, dishonors her head. It is the same as shaving as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Now, there, there's some interesting situations in this. Um, you need to know, first century culture, a head covering was a sign of, submi- of, of propriety and submission. Propriety means this is the right thing to do and how to behave. You know, what we should be doing. And there were social rules that um, affected everybody. And we grew in that. And Corinth was a very progressive city. Um, it had, it was, you could say, a very wealthy city, a place where a lot of people could make money. And when, when Corinth was conquered by the Romans and repopulated by the Romans, I mean, a lot of Greeks came back, but also a lot of Romans. And Roman culture uh, was very prevalent in Corinth. And there was a there was you could say kind of a boom town like we would think of the towns that boomed in the in the eighteen hundreds that they found gold or they found silver. There was a time where Virginia City was bigger than San Francisco, and now people don't even know where Virginia City is. Like who's that? Where's that? And the population is probably four hundred, you know. But but there was a time in the boom era, and and Corinth was kind of a boom place. And there's a whole lot of reasons why I don't, I don't have time to go into, but. Um, so people made money, and they like to show their money. The people who make a lot of money suddenly tend to be flashy. Cars, jewelry, you know, furniture, things, houses. They like to show it off when they make money. And so hence you get the talk about, you know, adorning ourselves with inner beauty uh, for women. And, for, and, and the head covering was a sign of submission. Married women always wore a head covering. Single women were allowed to not wear it. But here's here's something really bizarre. There was actually a group of people. They were called the Ginekonomi, um, and they were uh, government officials who had the duty of monitoring the propriety of women. I mean, they literally a woman could get in trouble for being dressed inappropriately. I mean, it was a very different society than what we're used to, and it's universally agreed that. Um, all these teachings on clothing and, and or not clothing, but on hair coverings were situational. Why? Because it's not something that was taught everywhere, but it's very specific to the need in Corinth. And um, but one thing that is interesting as well is that it basically, you know, Paul says that uh, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head covered dishonors her head. Okay, the topic is, you know, make sure your head's covered, but. It also shows you that women were praying and prophesying in public. They were in the services praying and prophesying. So later on, when we get into a woman being silent, that blows that out of the water if you translate silent as means they can't talk. And there are churches that believe that. There are groups that believe that, that a woman cannot speak at all. And and, and, but we'll look at that in a second. So so we have these, these the gunaikonomi, Moy, that uh, is just, this is bizarre, but it affects, see, you got to understand that the world back then was, was, was a very shame and virtue based society. There were virtues, and this is what defined if you were a good person. In the last 
couple thousand years, the definition of a good person was a good Christian in the Western world. And, and, uh, um, but back before that, it was virtues and vices. Did they follow virtues? Were they, were they, um, were they, uh, humility wasn't a virtue. I was going to say humble, but that's not, it was not a virtue. Uh, were they, uh, truthful? That was a virtue. Were they honest? You know, were they modest? That was a virtue. And there'd be virtues for men and virtues for women. And the propriety or being proper was a virtue for women. It would make the church look bad. Um, but that is not, it was, by, there's nobody that argues, or I shouldn't say nobody, there are some, but very few, very, very few, that would argue that that's a universal teaching, that that's something that's supposed to always be there. Um, he, we go on, it says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is, oops, you know what, I skipped the part, sorry. Uh, let me see if I can go to that. Verse, uh, back in verse 33 of, we're back in 1 Corinthians 14. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God, but of peace. As in all congregations of the Lord's people, women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. Um, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did, or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? So, uh, this is the verse I'm talking about that, that is probably one of the most controversial in the whole New Testament in terms of the role of women, because there were those who taught that women cannot say a word, you know, but that is not clearly not the intent here. And most scholars agree, it's not what the meaning of the word is. It, it doesn't, it doesn't imply that, especially when you take in consideration, Paul just said when they pray and when they prophesy. So clearly they were speaking in church in terms of being vocal. The question is not so much, can they say something? It's really much more a question of how they say things, that they're not supposed to be authoritative, demanding, and that would be improper. That would be, that's impropriety, that that when they speak, they speak with humility and love. They share, they, you know, this, and this is where we get our tradition in our concern about women not preaching. And there's more scriptures that we'll tackle that are even more specific about that. Um, um, so when he talks about, you know, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak. We're talking, you know, in, in Spanish, there's there's a there's a word. It's really the same word as quiet. It's ghetto. I mean, it's, it's almost, if, if you, you pronounce the word quiet in Spanish, you'd almost get the word ghetto. Well, it means to be still. It means to be calm. To be in submission, to be to be uh, in check—that's probably the best way to put it. You know, to remember yourself. You know, don't 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 go beyond what you should be doing. Um, here's a quote from the the teacher study: the declaration that women are to be silent in the church must be reconciled with the instructions for women to sing, pray, and prophesy in the corporate worship. The culture of the first century informs the understanding of this passage so we get we get an understanding and again this is a perfect example of of exegesis you know that on face value it looks like they're not supposed to say a word you know but when you take into account what paul just said about praying singing and preaching or prophesying then 
yeah, it's it's very, very clear that, that they are doing things in the service. But for years, the view was, in fact, the, the restoration view specifically, was that they are to do nothing in the service, which was an overreaction, an overreaction. So I remember the day that um, we announced in the church, you know, that women were going to start sharing communion. And that was a huge thing. And that women were going to uh, go up and share and do part of the welcome. That was a huge thing. And I know for those those of you who are Generation Z or Millennials, you laugh. You're like, what the? Are serious? You know, but it was a radical thing. For hundreds of years, the church didn't allow women to do anything because of these scriptures, because of misunderstanding these points. And so we're just reaching a point, and you could say, well, shame on you. Yeah, shame on us. I mean, shame on us for all the the, the, the oppression of black people. Shame on us for the oppression of Indians. Shame on us for the oppression of women. Yes, absolutely. And that's partly a lot of what this year's about. But even theologically, we're looking at saying, okay, guys, come on. Let's let's get with the program here. Let's, let's do what the Bible actually says. Um, so, you know, the a key word here, to be silent, is used three times in 1 Corinthians 14, including verse 28. If there is no no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent. He says that, right? Also, in the verse 30, if a revelation is made, let the first be silent, okay? Finally, in verse 34, women should remain silent, right? So, in all of these, is basically what he's saying is, wait your turn. Hold on. Keep it in check. You know, we got to have order, and it needs to be the right way. So I'm I'm actually going a little long here, so I'm going to stop here because we got plenty to talk about uh, just with that, and we'll pick up where we're at uh, the next time. So um, we'll pick up with the rest of 1 Corinthians 14 and finish that, and uh, we're going to stay in the nitty-gritty. We're still in the middle of it. So thank you, and uh, God bless you, and we'll see you next week. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 